Greetings and welcome to the Upper Pen Podcast. My name is Dakota and today I'm talking with Matt Dinneman about his game lit series, Dungeon Crawler Carl. After most of humanity is brutally killed in one fell swoop, Carl and his cat Donut, or depending on how you look at it, Donut and her human Carl, are just trying to survive this awful dungeon while the galaxy watches and the rest of humanity dukes it out with one another when they're not fighting ridiculous and violent monsters like the crack Karen. <laughs> Thanks for joining me, Matt. Thanks for having me. How did you get started on Dungeon Crawler Carl? Well, the idea, I've been writing for a long time, uh, but the idea for this specific series came to me, um, well, so I have a whole list of stories I want to write, and this is this had been one on there for a while, and I started writing it in December 26th, I think was the day, the day after Christmas in 2019. Uh, right, I had just finished, recently finished the Kaiju book, Kaiju Battlefield Surgeon, and that had been out for a while. And I was working on Dominion of Blades 3, which I'm still working on. Uh, and I just kind of had, you know, like basically a hair in my eye about writing this book so i started writing it and by the time january rolled around i realized that i had written a lot already um then i the end of february i think i put the first few chapters up on a royal road and that became popular pretty quickly and then the pandemic happened and my main business which was selling art kind of went away um and then suddenly Dungeon Crawler Carl became my full-time job. And, you know, it's it seems like it's quite popular, so. <laughs> yeah. It is. It's good. I mean, I can I can afford to eat and stuff now, so that's cool. That's always nice. <laughs> yeah, especially when you got children, because, you know, they complain. Oh, such whiners. <laughs> yeah. So tell me how, um, tell me a little bit about the dungeon as a setting. The well, so if you're not familiar with the book, it's about aliens come and they take over the planet and they turn those who choose to go into the dungeon as the set of a game show, um, an 18 floor dungeon that they have to survive in a certain set amount of time. Uh, so the setting for each floor, the first two were basically an actual when you see dungeon, that's what you think about. You're like in a cave hallways where monsters pop up in different rooms like the traditional dungeon crawl and then as we get progressively deeper the dungeon itself changes and it's it's a different way each time and which is something i like i like the idea of that because i can change the setting but the dungeon itself it's you know it's controlled by the showrunners and it's also managed by an ai uh who's in charge of keeping the rules fair and managing all the individual crawlers and doling out the prizes for what they do. And it, it's, it's like this nice little ball of clay I can play with and do whatever I want with. And that's, that's what was so alluring to me because I can change it as I go. One of the, one of my favorite parts about Dungeon Crawler Carl is the ever changing like landscape because of mm. the nature of the dungeon. It's just every level is a different section. And, um, like in three, they were in a big wide open space, right? And right. there's like some sciency reason of how they can do that in this dungeon. 
magic. <laughs> Super magic. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but that's really like an awesome feature of this because then it doesn't feel like you're limited to just fantasy settings, right? Right, right, right. And uh, and there's hints of it, but the dungeon every like cycle every year basically or season is run by a different company and different companies do different things like there's one company that likes to do it as sci-fi like death robots and stuff like that and that company actually just took over um spoiler alert uh took over <laughs> the crawl so we don't know what's going to happen we the people in the dungeon don't know specifically what's going to happen next so who knows what's going to be i like how you kind of um you make us the creepy audience that's watching Carl and Donut mm -hmm. um, as readers. Oh, I feel the heebie-jeebies just thinking about that. <laughs> yeah, and it's, you know, if you're a member of my Patreon, it's even worse because you get to vote on what happens. I mean, they have voted so many times on things people don't even realize, and I have no control over it, and it kind of screws me over a lot. <laughs> Do you give them, like, a choice of four things or something? I do. I give them multiple choices. Usually it's a lot more than four. Um, for example, if you've read book four, which is set on the fifth level, um, I got I allowed them to choose what the monster that came out of the first time the Feral Gate opened up, what that was. Um, and that ended up, they chose a puppy. Uh, so, you know, and it had a major impact on the way the story went on forward and then before that they actually chose the dungeon anarchist cookbook sort of um as a prize and as you can see that had a major impact on the way i write and then for the most recently they chose where specifically um the next floor which is the seventh or well i'm not going to say the next floor started um and okay. so it's like a choose your own adventure story like to the extreme it is and i like it like that i like being painted into a corner i like um figuring out on my own how i'm going to get out of it that's my writing style i don't write anything in advance i have no idea how it's going to happen um i am a complete pantser people don't believe me when i say that but i plan nothing out i don't even know how a sentence is going to end when i start writing it usually <laughs> i rewrite a lot um and i do a lot of editing a lot of editing but i make it all up as i go along that's got to be kind of hard, though, because the series has to have an end, right? There has to well, be yeah. an end to the dungeon. Everything I write, I always make it very clear from the beginning how what the end game is. Like in the Kaiju book, there's a timer. Um, in the Dominion of Blades, there's a timer. Dungeon Crawler Crawl, it's clear. It's 18 floors. It's there because um, there's a lot of books that are kind of open-ended, you know, like any zombie book. It kind of has an open end you know it's the apocalypse what's what happens next and i don't like that as a reader or as a writer i like it pretty laid out from the very very beginning what the rules are of like what the end game is gonna be so that's i mean i'm restrained to that but other than that you know so you have no idea how it's gonna end then no i have ideas um i have one of those crazy charlie day conspiracy boards <laughs> where i have like things connected um but none of it's set in stone and most of it's built after I've written it. Uh, and like, I'll have like open threads, like this 
like all the checkup guns I've placed throughout the series, and I like to set them off in random times in unexpected places. And they're tools I use to like get myself out of painted quarters without it being too, you know, cheesy or stupid. That kind of leads to the uh, the AI, who it seems to be like one of the best ways to get Carl and Donut out of these corners. Um, yeah. <laughs> I try not to use it too often as like a like a I want it to be either Carl or one of the characters to be the one that breaks them out of whatever the terrible situation is. Um, and like a lot of times the AI will give them tools, but it'll have given them the tools ahead of time. I don't want the like, you know, like the big dinosaur swooping out of nowhere and saving them at the last second sort of thing, like the end of Jurassic Park. <laughs> Spoilers. <laughs> if they haven't, somebody hasn't seen Jurassic Park yet. Uh, yeah, it's on them. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I love how you incorporate comedy into those moments with the AI because a lot of it is really dark. Like Carl right. is just depressed, and then the AI <laughs> seems like a really good way of being like happy. <laughs> you know, I was actually surprised when people started calling it a comedy series. Um, <laughs> You know, the cat says stupid stuff and the AI does like creepy, weird things. And it is funny. I mean, it's always meant to be. If you can't have a good time while you're writing or reading, then what's the point? But um, I still wanted to write kind of a dark, depressing story. Everything I write, I consider horror first. I always have and I probably always will. Um, and no one's ever noticed I've never written a story that has a happy ending either. Uh, well, so we'll see. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know where this is going to go, but we'll see. But I, you know, I, I have to entertain myself while I write. I, you know, I imagine, you know, I didn't expect it to come out like this. You know, when you start thinking about how if my cat or my pug suddenly started to be able to talk, I mean, what sort of stupid shit would he say? Yeah. And I mean, <laughs> Donut does say some some gems. Yes. She also saves Carl, though, a lot. Right, right. And, and she loves Carl, and Carl loves her, and they're partners. And she's pretty good at what she does, and she's getting more and more powerful, just like Carl is. Maybe it should have been called Dungeon Crawler Donut. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. I mean, she would call it that, definitely. I'm pretty sure that's the alternative title you just don't know about. <laughs> mm -hmm. Um. So going back to the AI, when book four wasn't released on audio, there were some <laughs> funny things that happened. <laughs> Can you tell? I me? had nothing to do with that, but yes. Sure. So, <laughs> so what happened was um, Jeff Hayes, who does the audiobooks and does an awesome job, he sent it off to Audible and got rejected for... Um, a legitimate reason it was just like some little technical thing and that happens all the time and then he resubmitted it immediately but for whatever reason audible wasn't reading their emails or something and it 20 something days later there still wasn't any movement on the resubmission of the book and it was it usually takes about 10 days um so people who had already been complaining about it taking a long time uh started a campaign i don't remember where it started probably on twitter where they would start sending pictures of their bare feet to audible and acx who's the company that is in charge of like making the files for audible 
books. Um, and then suddenly, like literally dozens and dozens and dozens of people were sending feet pics to Audible, including me, tagging me in them. And then Audible finally responded. We're like, uh, <laughs> okay, <laughs> stop sending us feet. We'll put the book out. <laughs> so it worked. <laughs> So uh, if anybody hasn't read Dungeon Crawler Carl, the the AI has a foot fetish, specifically right. Carl's beautiful feet, right? Right. And there's a reason for that. It hasn't really fully been revealed. There's <laughs> hints of it. I personally do not have a foot fetish. I think feet are gross. Uh, the AI does. However, I have seen more feet in the past year and a half than I care to. And I regret it. I made this joke before, but I kind of wish it had been a boob fetish or something like that. Something easy to take instead of people's gnarly toes. <laughs> right, right. Because feet are pretty nasty. They are pretty gross. But that just seems like... Not that there's anything wrong with having a foot fetish, because... Right. I've had a I mean, few messages yeah. about that as well. Like, thank you for bringing this serious subject out into the light. Those of us with foot fetishes are real people. I mean, okay. they seem like real people. I just maybe don't want my feet <laughs> to yeah. see, see other feet. <laughs> uh, Knock yourselves out. Right. Uh, so with that whole campaign to get Audible to release the book finally, it seemed like you had dozens and dozens and dozens of fans just waiting and just could not stand that they had to wait a little bit longer. Is right. this a problem when you write? Yeah. I well, I, I do get a lot of messages like, when's the next book coming out? When's the next book coming out? And the moment the book comes out, when is the next audio book coming out? And it, the reason why it doesn't happen concurrently is my fault because um, I usually edit, 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 edit until the last possible minute. And then I send it to Jeff and he can only, it takes a while to make an audio book, especially the way they do it at Soundbooth Theater because there's, it's not a full sound effects and music audio book. Um, but there's a lot and a lot of production that goes into it and he has a whole team that works on it after he's done recording and incidentally as we record this um he's done with the main recording that's being edited now but there's also in the audiobook we always have a little thing at the end after the credits um and the one this time i sent him a script I don't, i'm not even sure if he's gonna be able to pull it off it's a little extra so we'll see if he can do it more extra than the other ones <laughs> Well, this one, yeah. This, this, <laughs> we'll okay. See. So that kind of brings up this next idea of, is there a too far in the silliness or even the goriness? Like someplace you won't go. Well, I mean, yeah, uh, I'm sure there is. <laughs> I don't know what that line is. I... I, I established, I try to establish the rules pretty early. Um, that's, that's something you really got to do. I can't introduce like talking sex doll heads in book five and arrows of enthusiastic double gonorrhea in book five without killing a bunch of babies in book one. You know, um, that it, there's a scene in book one where Carl accidentally kills a bunch of goblin babies and that I deliberately put that in there as because it's funny. I mean, it's it's not funny when babies die, but it's funny. The situation was kind of funny, I thought. Uh, but a lot of people balk at that moment and then they put the book down and then they send me an angry letter or they one start or, you know, whatever. 
but if you can get past that then there's nothing going to be past that that's going to be worse i don't think um so i don't know i mean i would never the whole purpose of the story kind of is the story is about people being subjugated and fighting back and there's a lot of terrible things that happen including things to children and people who are being basically enslaved and it's a really dark story uh that has humor as kind of like padding all around it and bad things are going to happen it's going to get worse before it gets better but you know i try to keep you know the heart and the spirit of the characters alive throughout the whole thing um i've always had like a gore element to everything i write that too it's always going to be there it's probably people sometimes say it's gotten worse in this book but i don't i don't feel it has it's just different every time and sometimes people have certain things that trigger them in a certain way i really love horror stuff so like everything about this is great it's like the silly 80s horror stories right. that and, you would I mean, watch and that's what i'm a big fan of that's where i come from i grew up i worked at a video store when i was younger and i grew up just renting the 80s horror movies and watching them over and over and over and over again and reading the pulp 80s horror books and that's you know that's my background and my love yeah and i think i think this book series the series not book <laughs> merges the two really well like i don't ever feel like i can't keep reading it for any reason because like i'm not too depressed because there's always like a levity moment after something really tragic <laughs> um <laughs> Or there's usually something serious that happens after the AI is looking at feet, you know? Yeah. So it seems like it's a really good balance. Do you have to work at that? I I, I try. Um, as I'm writing, I you know, I kind of, I try to sense what the mood is. Like, there's a lot of sadness that happens. Like, and it kind of ends on kind of a low level, which is, which is tough for me. Um, because I, I, I want it to like you said i wanted to maintain balance and it can be hard it can be difficult um and i there's only so much you can do especially later on when more and more people it's kind of like squid game where you know you start watching you really like it but you start to realize eventually they're gonna all be dead all of them except for one of them and who's it gonna be and i mean that's the same sort of thing that's i'm not saying that's exactly what's gonna happen but that's kind of the sense that we have is everyone's dying. Uh, and that's not fun. That's not funny. Um, but what are you going to do? You make us care about those side characters too so much. And then like in the back of my mind, I'm like, but they're going to die. They <laughs> have to die. <laughs> like, oh my God. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, that's, that's part of what I like about writing this sort of book when I, I i read a lot of apocalyptic books and a lot of times they just ignore the horror of what's happening and i think anytime when there's any sort of mass death event i can't stop thinking about everyone that died like you watch the movie like 2012 and then if, and it's exciting because they're getting away but you think about like all those people all around them they're yeah. dead and that sucks and there's lots of so, dying and scared and in pain people you know? anytime and how I can you not think action, about it yeah anytime i watch an action movie like when there's cars rolling over on the freeway i'm like that person has to right. be dead 
there were small children in that car. <laughs> like, like in the new Batman movie, which I love, by the way. Um, I do there's too. a there's an awesome car chase scene and he gets away, but like, holy shit, everybody on that bridge is goddamn dead. <laughs> like everybody's backed up and nobody's getting home. People are starving. It's not yeah. a good time. And then good the job, ending. Batman. Oh my God. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> Do you have somebody read through the book to kind of make sure you're hitting those notes that you want to hit and keeping the tone there? I did early on. Um, now, I have basically, I write the chapter and then I put it on my Patreon almost immediately, um, fairly unedited. And they're pretty good at letting me know how they feel. And then from there, I'll edit it and put it on Royal Road. And then they're even worse at letting me know how I did. Um, but, you know, th their their opinions are really valuable too. And I, I, I don't always respond to all their comments, but I pay very careful attention. And then it goes through a third edit where I change the content a little bit sometimes, or I change things around, or I move whole. The ending of this most recent book was moved around quite a bit before I got to the final version. And then I have someone go through and do the grammar stuff, another person. And I've, I've experimented with different types of editing, and I'm pretty happy with the system I have right, right now. Um, I, I do need to have someone over my shoulder tell me, this book is too long already. You need to hurry it up but i'm a big fan of just letting the story tell itself and you never know how long it's going to be yeah i i don't think long stories are bad and it seems like each dungeon crawler carl gets just a little bit longer uh, <laughs> that is a problem <laughs> but yeah it does i don't know if it's a problem because it seems like the world is so complex and there's so many characters yeah um this next book, I'm not sure what's going to happen because the floor itself that I'm on is going to be shorter, definitely. But I don't want it to be too short, so I don't know if I'm going to combine it with the the one following that, which is definitely going to be possibly two books. Well, and I don't want it to be. I don't really want the series to go more than ten books, so we'll see what happens. Okay. So if we're on book five now, you only have five more to wrap it up. So we're only halfway through the story arc. Uh, well, we'll see. We'll see what happens. <laughs> I don't okay. want it to be more than 10. I'd be more than happy with it going a lot shorter than that. I mean, who knows? I might get bored and kill everybody in the next book. We'll see. Uh, you might have rioting and a lot of feet pictures just sent to your house. <laughs> so, you know. It's true. <laughs> Anything could happen. It could. <laughs> this is self-published and you... It is. Yeah. How do you like working as a self-published author as opposed to trying traditional? So I've done both. Um, my first book was published, a book called The Shivered Sky, way back in 2003. It was published by, it wasn't a, I wouldn't call them medium publisher, but they weren't, they're were bigger than small too. And they, um, they edited it, they paid for the cover art and they did all that stuff. But they didn't advertise it very well, and that wasn't a very fun process. I mean, the book came out like a year and a half after they accepted it. Uh, since then, I've been published, and then I had another book called The Grinding, which was a medium-sized horror publisher, and that that worked out pretty well. I enjoyed that process. Um, again, they paid for the cover, they edited it, they advertised it a little bit, and it it did relatively well and then it got translated into a much larger german publisher and it did well there too which was pretty cool 
And since then, kind of the genre lit RPG or game lit, that genre kind of tends to need books coming out a lot more rapidly than traditional publishing can handle. Um, some of the more boutique publishers now that are publishing a lot of gamelet, they know this now and they usually don't accept the book or publish the first one until the whole series is finished. Um, and they do a lot of rapid releases um, or at least the first several in the series and that works out well for them. But I, I know well enough now how the whole system works where this is probably the best course of action for Dungeon Crawler Carl. Um, and it's too late now anyway, but. Well, I, I imagine there would be a lot of meddling too with the type of story it is or how it's going. Like right. there'd be so and much less input. Like I, I swear a lot when I write and a lot of people call me out on it. Uh, and one of my books, I, had, I was told to tone it down and I, that made me mad. And But I did. Uh, there's a lot of like um, another the same the that first book the Shivered Sky has kind of a ending that offends some people and I was toned told to tone it down and change it and I said no and I ended up getting to keep it that sort of thing you know um, people you know I would love one day to have a book that's published by a large publisher just to say I did but the truth is I make significantly more money doing it this way I guarantee it uh, and I have more control over it and things like having a Patreon and having the fans you know help control the story and sculpt I'd rather have them tell me what to do than you know some person in an office somewhere you know yeah someone who might not get the feel of it <laughs> right right if somebody were to, if you were to try and give advice to somebody trying to break into writing, what would you say? How would you go? Well, um, to break someone to breaking into actually writing for the first time, you know, I was just discussing this. I did another, um, uh, like a interview thing with several authors, and uh, like Dakota Kraut was on there, and um, Michael Chatfield, and several others, Harmon Cooper. Uh, and uh, Dakota was talking about how he, so I come from a, I, I went to school, I, I, I took, I have my degrees in education, but I studied um, creative writing, I took multiple workshops, and he was talking about how he felt that the workshopping system hurts authors who want to make money, and I actually agree with that to a certain extent, but I strongly, strongly feel that people should take a workshopping class once or twice and what a workshopping class is you go to your community college or your college and take a class and it's usually filled with people that are way different than you and you write a short story or three and then you send it all out and then they tell you how terrible it is and then the rest of the class you spend reading their short stories and you tell them how terrible it is and the class is terrible for writers if the only thing to get out of it is the advice of their peers, I guess. But I find it like invaluable being able to learn how to take criticism, first off, just like be able to take criticism. And then two, more importantly, how to learn how to um, accept good 
criticism and ignore bad criticism. Uh, it makes you very, very good at knowing your own work. Um, like sometimes you see artists, they'll draw this masterpiece and they'll be like, I can't tell if this is good or bad. And it's obviously good or it's obviously bad. Or those you go see those people on American Idol that think they're good singers, but they're terrible singers. Being able to be self-aware is super, super, super important. And it's one of the single hardest things uh, to do. And I think those classes teach that as long as you go into them with that, you know, that goal. And reading other people's work is really good too. Learning to criticize other people's work, learning how to read um, effectively with a critic's and editor's eye is really good. As long as you don't take, you know, the love of the being a writer out of it. And that's hard too. There's so many minefields. But anyway, my advice is, you know, um, find other writers, read a lot, um, critique each other's work, write, 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 write. And then when you're, once you start having something that you're happy with, decide what you want. Do you want it to be published by a traditional publisher? Most people seem to do. Um, and there used to be like this big, you know, oh, if you're self-published, it must suck. And the problem is a lot of self-published stuff does suck. Um, I mean, it does. But so, you know, there's kind of a, some people consider it like a black mark, you know, on being being a writer, being self-published. Oh, oh, oh. But um, you first decide what you want to do. Then try, you know, try to get an agent. Uh, try to find a publisher who publishes what you publish and see what happens if you're not in a hurry. Um, but if you want to go, then, you know, I want to make money. That's, you know, that's great too. Uh, go to like the 20 books for 50 K site on Facebook and just read everything they have to say, learn about the business of self-publishing. Cause there's a lot of little things in there. There's a lot of traps, a lot of predators trying to steal your money. Uh, and it's a lot of work there. You need to know there's a lot of stuff that, it's counterintuitive uh but yeah there's a lot <laughs> it's a big fat convoluted answer to your question but <laughs> no i love it i took so many writing classes and like that's exactly the truth though you know right <laughs> um when i was talking to travis baldry last week he mentioned that you had spoken about um oh yeah travis was there too yeah <laughs> he's, he's awesome i love travis that dude is so amazing. I mean, he does like 800 different things. And I know. He's too good. <laughs> he is. Um, Probably a serial killer or something. <laughs> I hope not. I need his next book to come out, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I love you, Travis. <laughs> um, so he mentioned that reading bad work is just as valuable as reading good work. Definitely. That's something that you had said. Um, yeah, I, I don't like reading bad books. I, I There are so many Gamelet books I've read the first like few chapters, and I can usually tell almost immediately how it's going to go. Sometimes, you know, it's a really good writer, but I, I just don't like the story for whatever reason. Nothing wrong with that. Or it's a bad writer, and I love the story, and then I could power my way through. But when you get someone that's like a pretty good writer and a pretty good story or a well-thought-out story or a well-sculpted story... Um, there's nothing like it. And that's, you know, that's what I'm always chasing as a reader. And, you know, when you, when you're a little kid and you read that first book that like kind of makes you fall in love with reading, um, 
there's nothing like that and that's that's why we do it <laughs> well i'm glad that you are writing these because that's how i feel i love these books oh, they're so, so they're so silly and fun but also like they hit home you know <laughs> mm -hmm. but again like reading bad work is um ask yourself why is this bad if you're a writer and why is this bad is it just because of the grammar or is it because it's not there's lots of stuff and it just doesn't make sense like they didn't think about it or why and if it's good writing what i like to do is this sounds really weird um i'll find a paragraph i really like and then i'll actually write it out myself like i'll type it out i'll read it i'll have it like on one side and i'll type it just the paragraph word for word not because i'm stealing it or anything it's just because when you type it out you teach yourself like weird sentence structures that you would never come up with on your own certain ways to say things like how the words fall um and it's a super helpful writing exercise i do that quite a bit uh like he who fights with monsters has a lot of sentences in it or paragraphs i think a lot of people don't even realize how well they're constructed um tell wong the system apocalypse guy he does that too um eric ugin um does the bad guys and good guys series he is one of the best writers i know um and he knows how to put a story together stuff like that yeah and travis is really good at it too travis baldry um uh is who who knew you know <laughs> we don't want too many narrators moving into the writing space but we'll allow it because he's really good at it too he also takes up a different sphere of the the right i mean it's, <laughs> right it's like a cozy his book is, is legends and lattes is cozy fantasy and it's really good yeah it is <laughs> um who does the cover art for dungeon crawler carl okay so um there's a guy his name is luciano flightus he's done lots and lots and lots of gamelet cover art um he's really good at it uh he, all of the words and stuff i do it all myself i am an artist too i draw cats for a living or i used to uh but i i know i'm not good enough to draw that sort of stuff but um so i sketch out basically what i want them to draw and tell them like so there's gonna be like this goat dude holding a flask and then carl like holding up the sex doll head like in the say anything movie and that sort of thing and then he'll draw it out and he always does a great job okay they do fit so well with the book so i was wondering how he did it like because i know a lot of artists don't have to read the book you know <laughs> yeah <laughs> right. So, I mean, I come from kind of a corporate advertising background. I, I worked in, so I got a degree in education and I realized that I hated children really fast. So I decided to write obituaries instead. And I worked at a daily newspaper doing that. And then from there, I moved to advertising and I was an art, basically an art director. So I was, I was, you know, I was always sending art out to be made. And that's kind of a skill that you learn along the way. It's one of the only good things that came out of working in a cubicle but um so i've gotten pretty good at telling him what to do and how to do it and in short paragraphs and then he asks a few questions and then he comes up with a sketch and i'm like this is pretty good then this is this 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 maybe we change a little bit and then that's it and he seems to like working with me so and he's a really good artist anyway He's, yeah. It's really good, and it's probably because you actually know what you want instead of like, hey, I need like a fantasy thing. Yeah. <laughs> so. so there's like a unicorn. 
and a maybe bear. a waterfall. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, are you working on anything other than uh, Dungeon Crawler, Carl, right now? I am always fiddling with Dominion of Blades book three. Um, that's perpetually unfinished. That one's really complicated too. It's a heist novel. Um, I I have far and away most of my time is spent working on Dungeon Crawler, Carl. I I'm working on the audio drama off and on of um, Kaiju Battlefield Surgeon, which Sambu Theater's putting out. Uh, I have a story that's I'm going to try to put out before the end of Dungeon Crawler Carl, but I don't want to delay Dungeon Crawler Carl. Um, but you, you always want to start like a new series before the last one of your series or else, you know, then you start eating ramen again. Um, but yeah, I have lots of little projects. I have so many little hamsters running around in my head. It's just I just don't have enough time. I wish I did. And do that Bill and Ted thing where I freeze time and just come out with like 30 bucks. That'd be great. Again, Brandon Sanderson. What happened, yeah. man? Yeah. yeah. Uh, no, that was pretty awesome. I, I, was... <laughs> I do like his like books. Yeah. I'm a lot slower than some people. It's just I was able to do it. I have more time to do it during the pandemic. I mean, some of these guys, they're posting, putting out like a book a month. And it's really them. You know, there's other ones that do it that have other people write for them. But no, some of these guys, there's bam, 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 bam. It's pretty amazing. Well, who uh, Dakota Kraut's the one who's doing the Sword of the Calendar or something. Right. Um, and it's one book for every month. And like that blows my mind. <laughs> yeah, I think it's mostly done, but I'm not sure. Um because I'm not a part of this member of his Patreon, but people have been talking about it. But yeah, he's he's a machine, and and he he works on all those other books that um, Mountain Dale Press puts out too. Yeah. Him and his wife Danielle, um, it's amazing. Yeah, and he's a and really then, writer. And then Travis Baldry narrates all of them. Like yeah, that know. dude puts out like four or five books a month. It's it's insane. I asked him how he does it, and he's like, I spend like five like a few days doing it five hours a day i was like oh okay <laughs> i don't believe you you do too much work <laughs> there's like three of them probably it's like triplets <laughs> <laughs> um, all right well thank you matt for joining me okay thank you so much and if you haven't started dungeon crawler carl what are you doing with your life really yeah I highly suggest the audiobooks from Soundbooth Theater um, that just Jeff Hayes narrates, who I'll be talking to next week. Oh, yeah. I didn't know that. <laughs> <laughs> As always, thanks for watching and have a great day. Awesome. Thank you so much.